Fear is a strange thing, isn't it? Fear, being afraid of things. There used to be a TV show called Fear Factor where people would sign up with the hope of winning $50,000 to face up to their worst fears. You may remember it from a few years ago. People would do things like lie in a bed of snakes or have 50 tarantulas crawl over their face or um, walk a tightrope, jump from a 12-storey building, all to overcome their phobias. People have all sorts of phobias, claustrophobia, fear of enclosed spaces, acrophobia, fear of heights. There's even some obscure ones like pallidophobia, fear of bald people. (laughs) (laughs) Today, as we look at Mark 5, we're thinking about fear, but not phobias, real fears. I know there's some people who go through life very afraid, afraid of the future, afraid of what might happen to them, or others for just a season are anxious and fearful about how things might turn out, how things might change or not change. And if you're a person who is afraid, whether you're afraid for a long time or just afraid at the moment, today's passage, I hope, will be a great comfort for you. Because it shows us that if we follow Jesus, not just that we don't have to be afraid, but why we don't have to be afraid of anything. Or maybe you're more like me at a superficial level, I don't really fear much at all. I can remember perhaps one or two times in my life I've felt afraid. But this passage has an important lesson for all of us because we all act out of fear at times, even if we don't think about it in what we say in what we don't say. I mean, ever not spoken to someone about Jesus because of fear of what they might think. Ever told a lie out of fear of being found out, trying to cover something up. Ever taken a chance, not taken a chance with something out of fear of being rejected. There's all sorts of ways, if we think about it, that fear of what other people think of us influences the way we act. And so this passage has some great lessons for all of us, whatever our fears, whatever our levels of fears, about what we should and shouldn't fear. So with that, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Father, fear is something that we don't often think about or for others of us, we think about it a very lot. But thank you that your word speaks to our deepest fears. And we pray that as we think about Jesus and his power, his power over everything, that that might calm our anxious fears and give us a sense of comfort and of security. Amen. Now, so far in Mark's Gospel, if we remember back last week or even a few months ago, we've been thinking about Jesus and his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. He has authority. He has power. And in this passage today, we learn more about Jesus and his incredible authority as king in God's kingdom. And we have two incidences, you heard as they were read, calming a storm and driving out demons, the natural and the supernatural. Both instances we have fear mentioned And we see in both instances that Jesus has complete control 
Now let's pick it up together in verse 34 of chapter 4, the last verse from last week. Jesus did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Last week, Jesus was telling parables. At the end of a day, Jesus has finished teaching the crowds. He hops in the boat and he's going to now leave behind the Jewish crowds and go over to the other side of the sea, which is Gentile territory. Last week, it was all Jewish, if you like, wasn't it? It was about the Old Testament. It was about Israel's hardness. It was about the prophet Isaiah speaking to Israel. This week's a bit of a sea change. Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee, and on the other side, we see a display of Jesus' power to non-Jews. And this is so clear that you don't even need the Old Testament to see how big it is. It's obvious for everyone. Perhaps in a symbolic way, this is Jesus is actually showing what he was teaching last week. It's time for the gospel not just to go to the Jews who wouldn't listen, but to the entire world, even to the Gentiles. And so they crossed the lake. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats with him. They took him along just as he was. Now, I'm not sure why Mark says just as he was, but this whole incident is told so briefly, only seven verses. I mean, you could take pages and pages to describe the storm and the waves and get all excited like we do when we tell the children. Mark uses only seven verses, so I think everything is significant. Just as he was, maybe Mark's just saying, this isn't something that Jesus had to prepare for. It wasn't some trick. He didn't somehow need to psych himself up for a miracle. He was just there at the end of the day, and here's how it happened. And Mark also points out there were other boats with him. This didn't happen in private. It's not some story that the disciples made up. Ask the other boats who were out there too. This was real. There were other boats there. And verse 37, a furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, storms can be terrifying, can't they? I, I like being tucked up in bed, listening to the sound of the rain on the roof and the occasional thunder. But to be out in a boat in the middle of a storm, well, I've never been there. But Mark doesn't need to say much to get the point across, does he? These beefy men who were fishermen who know the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hands. Remember back in chapter 1, Jesus called Simon, Andrew, James and John. They're all fishermen. Their father was fishermen. They grew up in boats like this. These guys are terrified. This storm is enough to get seasoned fishermen into a panic. The wind is blowing, the waves are breaking, and so in desperation, they turn really to the only thing that is left, that this is beyond their fishing and boat knowledge. They turn to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure what they're expecting Jesus to do. He's done nothing of this scale before. They've seen him heal people. Anyway, they wake him up and they ask him for help. And again, listen to just how matter-of-factly Mark describes it. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, 
and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then what I think is the climax to this whole section, 41, they were terrified. Literally, they were, they were full of fear and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do you see the point? If you thought being in a boat in a storm was terrifying, you try sitting in a boat with someone who can stop a storm. Someone that powerful. That is terrifying. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, if anything in this creation scares you, imagine the power of the one who made it all. And the next incident, it's exactly the same lesson. We move from the natural world to the supernatural, but the end outcome is the same. People will be more afraid of Jesus for what he has done than the situation they started with. I mean, we read these passages and I think it's easy to be amazed by Jesus just doing what he did. But do you see the response these people have? Absolute fear. Who is this man? Jesus and his disciples, they get to the other side of the lake and they find there a demon-possessed man. Now, there is something more fearful about the supernatural, isn't there? A storm is bad enough, but the supernatural, it's invisible. It's untouchable. It's unknown. It's mysterious for us. Verse 1 of chapter 5, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Mark told the calming of the storm very briefly, but here he really pads it out. In the description of this man, he, it's almost as long as the entire storm incident. Mark wants us to see the desperation of this man. He wants us to feel the power of the evil that controls him. Verse 1, he has an evil spirit. He lives in the tombs. So it's the setting of a horror movie. The gravestones, well, the tombs. No physical, the physical manifestation of the power of evil that this man has is incredible. Verse 4, he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Not only are these evil spirits that control him powerful, they're bent on evil and harm. Verse 5, they cause him to cut himself with stones, harm himself. Although at least the man has some level of restraint, he's still alive. When Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, the pigs seem to have less control than the man and they just run straight into the water and kill themselves. And Mark keeps going on. It's like everything about this area is evil. Even the evil spirits... Don't want to leave it. Verse 10, they begged Jesus not to send them out of the area. So evil is comfortable here. And it's not just one spirit or two evil spirits. This man has a legion. A legion is an army of three to 5,000 soldiers. Verse 10, the man begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
a large herd of pigs, was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us out among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. These evil spirits didn't identify themselves earlier along by name. They said, we're legion, we're many. Here we find out how many. Enough to drive 2,000 pigs into the water. This man is possessed by thousands of demons. Strong evil, uncontrollable evil, bent on harm evil, the demonic in an evil place. I'd be scared. But as scary as the supernatural world might be, as scary as demons and the devil might be, how does Jesus respond? It's not actually so much about how Jesus responds to them, but about how they respond to Jesus. Straight away, the demons see Jesus and they know that he has power over them. They start begging Jesus not to torture them. Verse 7, He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. They recognize to some extent who Jesus is. They call him the son of the most high God. Demons are nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus is not scared of them. They are terrified by him as are the people who witness all this. Because as we read on, as people just see the absolute power of Jesus over these demons, just like the storm, they're now scared of Jesus. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus... They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. See, they see this man dressed, sitting there normally, but they know what he was. And they're afraid. The only thing scarier than 2,000 demons is someone who 2,000 demons are scared of, and that is Jesus. And Mark says it again in verse 16 to make sure we get it. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. However afraid they may have been by the evil spirits back at the start of this, they're now face-to-face with someone more powerful and they simply do not know what to do with Jesus. And so sadly, they beg him to leave the region. They're scared of Jesus because like the disciples back in verse 40, look at chapter 4, verse 40, they don't have faith. Jesus said to his disciples, this was straight after the storm, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? But in all this story, there is one man who does have faith. One man who's not scared by Jesus. One man who actually wants to follow Jesus. That is the man who was possessed by the thousands of evil spirits. The man who was tormented day and night. He's been set free. 
I mean, imagine being set free from that. I don't think we can. You've got this spiritual force in you that means you can overcome anyone. You are so powerful, but this force is hell-bent on destruction. You can't control yourself. Then a man sets you free. And the biggest fear in your life is gone. The overwhelming force that was your biggest enemy is defeated. No wonder this man wants to go with Jesus and follow him. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus has bigger plans for this man. Jesus doesn't want the man to follow him out of the area. This man has a job to do in this evil area. Jesus perhaps sensed that this man will be good soil producing 30, 60, maybe 100-fold what was sown. And so Jesus wants this man to stay in this God-forsaken place and sow the seeds of the gospel. And he doesn't need Jesus with him in the area physically to combat the evil. He simply needs to tell people what Jesus has done for him. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, did not let the man go with him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This man is completely set free. He has no fear of demons anymore. And so he sets off to tell people about Jesus. Wonderful ending, isn't it? But back to Mark 5. There's lots of things in this world that we can be afraid of. And they can be overwhelming. The lesson of Mark is that we don't need to fear them. Although I think it's worth thinking about that a bit. Because how do we get from what happened back there then, to what it means for us here today. Because the big problem with reading the Gospels is they're not actually about us directly, are they? We don't have Jesus with us on every boat trip. If I'm crazy enough to go out into the Sea of Galilee without checking the weather and a storm blows up, chances are I'll drown. If I say, be quiet, be still, I don't think it'll happen. Jesus doesn't promise that it will. There's a little boy who was afraid of the dark and one night his mum told him to go out to the back porch and bring her the broom. And the little boy who was afraid of the dark was scared and he said, Mum, I don't want to go out to the porch. It's dark. And so his mum tried to comfort him. She said, look, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. Jesus is out there. He'll look after you. The little boy said, Are you sure Jesus is out there? Yes, he's everywhere. He's always ready to help you when you need him. So the boy was encouraged by his mum's words. He stuck his head out the door and he said, Jesus, if you're out there, can you bring me the broom? (laughs) The point is, it's one thing to say, yes, Jesus is everywhere there. He can help us. But what does that mean? Will he calm a storm for us? Will he drive out demons for us? Will he get the broom for us? 
How do we work out what this means for us? How do we get ourselves into this story, so to speak? And the way we get ourselves into this story, we don't have to force ourselves in. We actually read on in Mark's Gospel and we get into it. As we read on, we see that Jesus continues to show his extraordinary power. He raises a dead girl to life. He feeds 5,000 people on a handful of food. He walks on water. He proves himself in control of everything. Now, all that section of Mark about who Jesus is reaches its climax in chapter 8, verse 29, where his disciples work out who he is. Mark eight twenty-nine. that's where Jesus says, you've heard other people who say who I am. Um, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. See, Jesus is the person who God has appointed king over the entire world. And all this stuff that we're reading now proves that. And at that point in Mark, when Jesus' authority is finally clear and his disciples have worked it out, they've worked out what the calming of the storm and the healings were all about, they work out who Jesus is, then Jesus tells them what he came for. Mark 8.31 He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And if you've read it before, that's what happens. King Jesus dies. He dies as a ransom for many. He does it to pay the judgment, the fine and penalty for our disobedience and rejection of God. And that's when we start to get included in the story. Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in the final show of his complete and total power, not just over the natural and supernatural, but over death, Jesus is raised back to life. And Jesus says, whoever trusts him will have their sins forgiven. Whoever trusts him, even if they die, will be raised to eternal life like him. And that's where we fit into the story. Not that Jesus is promising there won't be storms or that we won't die, but if we trust him, we'll be raised to eternal life with him. Jesus didn't calm the storm to say there'll never be a storm or that if we're in one, there'll be an easy way out. Jesus didn't drive out demons to show that we can drive out demons or to show that when we're confronted with evil, there'll be an easy way out. He did it to prove his authority over the natural, over the supernatural, even over death. Jesus has complete authority. And because of that, his death was able to win for us eternal life. And because of that, we are freed from fearing anything. Not because we'll never face death or other things, but whatever it is that you might be afraid of, you don't need to fear it because it cannot separate you from Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 2.14 says this. Hebrews 2.14, you might want to look it up later. Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, And free those 
who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's us. And the point is not that Jesus will get rid of all our problems, but that whatever your problem might be, Jesus is bigger than it. And that's the message the rest of the Bible gives us about being afraid. In fact, Luke twelve four, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. We don't need to fear death, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. If you're a follower of Jesus, though, you don't need to fear anything. Not because you won't go through it, but because whatever it is that you might be afraid of, doesn't matter how big it is, doesn't matter how bad it is, Jesus is bigger than it. Are you afraid of the future? Because you don't know what it brings? You don't need to fear it. Jesus is bigger than the future. Are you afraid of dying? You don't need to fear it. Jesus has got that one sorted out. He raised from the dead so that if you trust him, you can have eternal life. Are you afraid of being alone? Are you afraid of some illness? Are you afraid of some situation that's not changing? Whatever it is, however big, however bad it might seem, you don't need to fear it because Jesus is bigger than it. And that's what this passage is about. Even the unbelieving, evil people, the other side of the lake, worked that out. Jesus is scary. Jesus is someone to be feared. But if we trust him, we don't need to run away from him in fear. We can come to him for refuge because not only is Jesus powerful, he's good. And he gave his life to rescue people like you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that someone as powerful as Jesus, thank you for someone with such authority as Jesus, thank you that someone like that gave their life for us. Thank you that Jesus allowed himself to die on a cross and that you raised him again so that he could defeat death and sin for us. And Father, thank you that having conquered our biggest fear, defeating death, the devil, our enemy, there's nothing we need to fear. And we pray that your spirit might apply these truths to our hearts this morning. That the truth about Jesus' power might calm our anxious fears that we might not worry about the things around us, but that we might have comfort and peace in Jesus' complete power 
and in his care of us. And thank you for this great reminder this morning. Amen.